Do you wish it was easier managing your company's finances? Why is filing accounts so painful? Well, that's the reason we've partnered with Intuit QuickBooks, who make it really easy for founders and their companies to stay on top of their finances. And that goes for sole traders too. QuickBooks can save up to seven hours a week on your finance admin. Seven hours! They do a bunch of things to help. Whatever stage of your business, from centralizing all your docs for your self-assessment to making it easy to do payroll for your staff, from invoicing to effective time tracking. QuickBooks is a one-stop shop that gives you the tools you need to take care of your business. But they also provide an end-to-end view of your company's financials, which means you can make better business decisions. It's simple to use. You can get started in just 15 minutes. So if you want to take control of your finances, then head to quickbooks.co.uk forward slash secret leaders. That's quickbooks.co.uk forward slash secret leaders. There's a link in the show notes. So when the investors liked us, when we were on the national talk shows, when we were like getting the press coverage, we were getting magazine clippings with our product in it. All of that stuff was really fun. I was like, yeah, I don't care what I'm doing. I'll shovel ditches if I need to. I'll go clean toilets. It doesn't matter. We're winning. But then after the economy sank, everything got so much harder and all of these external signs of success weren't there. That's Rob Fitzpatrick talking about his company, Habit Industries. They were accepted to Y Combinator, or YC as it's sometimes called, in the same cohort as teams like Dropbox and Songkick. They got deals with big companies like Sony Music, MTV and the BBC. But they died in their fourth year. So what happened? From Secret Leaders, I'm Dan Murray-Serta, and this is the last in this second bite-sized series dedicated to failure. We're doing this because we learn a lot more from failure than success, but we hardly ever hear about it. We're changing that with the help of entrepreneurs like Rob sharing their worst moments. We love learning here on Secret Leaders, is why we're doing this series. But real learning requires experience, and when you're just starting out as a new founder, you don't have any. That means knowing the right path to take is really difficult. In 2007, Rob and his two co-founders were in their early 20s. They were programmers just out of academia and had an idea for a business. They applied to YC and were part of 80 teams that were interviewed. We were trying to invent a new genre of a video game. We were calling them music games. And the idea was that they'd be paid for by the, the label. And in addition to paying for a music video, they would get pushed through broadcast channels. They would pay for a music game, which would go out through grassroots and social channels. MySpace was new. You know, We were starting to be able to embed these interactive widgets. It was all very exciting. And then we had this vision of setting ourselves up as the MTV of this new, this new genre. When we pitched it to YC, even during the first meeting, uh, Paul Graham said, you know, love the team, love what you guys have built. You're, you're, you're clearly good product people with good taste. He goes, but this is a terrible idea. It'll never work. It'll never scale. It's ridiculous. And I was like, oh, why'd you fly us to California just to tell us that? That's mean spirited. And, and he goes, well, you know, if you can come up with an idea that, that scales, like we would definitely back you. We're like, okay, will you help? And he said, sure. And so we spent the rest of the meeting throwing around uh, ideas. It's only a 10 minute meeting. And we'd learned that our idea was terrible at minute four. So we had six more minutes to come up with a better idea. By the end, they ended up deciding to fund it. And we basically took the core kind of animation to music. It, it was uh, that and tried to expose it for kids to make their own little cartoons. So we called that Minivid. And kids could make these little 30-second music cartoons. And then our idea was to do kind of brand licensing and do kind of social advertising, product placement, user-generated content campaigns, that sort of thing. 
After spending three months at YC in Boston, they moved to California, ending up in San Francisco, of course. But they found investors hard to come by. We thought that the money just grew on trees and that the investment would be instantaneous and easy. Um, and we had all these meetings. We had so many meetings with investors. But I think that they could tell in the same way that, that YC could tell that we didn't really have much business sense about us. But they were not willing to kind of work with us and, and co-create and, and guide us in the same way that, that, that Paul and Jessica were. So the fundraising was really tough. So we went kind of into bootstrapping mode. We took a little bit of kind of consulting work. So two members of our team spent two days per week doing consulting gigs, which brought in 20000 a month, which basically allowed those team members on the rest of their time and the rest of us on all of our time to focus on what we consider the main product business. We got a small bridge loan from an angel of about 45000 And that bridge loan plus the bits of kind of agency work or consulting work we'd done, and we tried to keep it very part-time because ultimately we wanted it to be a product business. And we were just trying to survive, right? Like survive long enough until there's enough product momentum or until you get lucky. And both things kind of combined where we started talking to investors in New York, Hong Kong, London, Tel Aviv, which are basically the big advertising cities. And we found that the tone of the conversation was completely different than the ones we'd been having with investors from San Francisco, because San Francisco investors knew how to use ads, but they didn't really have as much understanding about the advertising in infrastructure, the ad formats, the way, you know, the more creative side and the more technical side of them. And in London, they did. There was only one thing for it. They moved the company to these fair shores. So we raised a quick round there from great investors and we, we, we moved out the company. <laughs> we did that. We closed that round just as the 2008 financial crash happened. And so I remember we'd use the last of our money to fly the whole team out to London, one-way tickets. <laughs> and the deal was signed, but the money wasn't in our bank account. And a deal is never done until the money's in your bank account. And right after we got there, within a couple of days, the economy tanked for the, the, the 2008 crisis. And the investors called me and they, they said, Rob, your company today is worth half of what it was worth yesterday. If you came to us now, we would never in a million years even consider investing in you. And there was the longest pause of my life. And I'm thinking like, how do I get my team back home? What am I going to tell people? This is just awful. And uh, then he goes, but we've never gone back on a handshake. So let's get you the money today before things get any worse. And so I ran around. It was snowing in London, very unusual. Um, I didn't have internet at my apartment because we just arrived. And so I, uh, I bribed this cafe owner to stay open and let me stay there till about 1 a.m. using the, the internet and the fax machine and stuff to finish up the paperwork with the lawyers in San Francisco. Got the money in the bank account. It was like, woo. <laughs> um, but again, to close that round of funding, we'd again had to slightly shift our vision. And so this was step by step. It was getting further and further away from the reason we originally started the company and also further and further away from what we were good at executing on. The thing is, they'd started out as a product company. We were building cool animation technology. We were making the we're making better toys for kids. We were making stuff, you know, and we were trying to do we were trying to do a marketing led destination site to kind of prove that kids liked it, to prove that people wanted to use it, to prove that these things could go viral on MySpace as, as much as that dates me. <laughs> uh, and then after we'd gone to London, we were very clearly an enterprise sales company. So you know, I'm, I'm an introverted technical product person, right? I wanted to be making fun stuff, playful stuff for kids. And suddenly it's like I was buying a bunch of suits and spending 40 hours a week commuting between sales meetings. And 
I didn't like it. It made me really stressy and I was bad at it. You know, it took a long time for me to learn that skill. And I eventually did. It became the topic of my book, The Mom Test, which is like how to do this stuff as an introverted techie. <laughs> but that slowed us down and it made it a lot less pleasant for me. They hadn't realised at the time they pivoted, but they'd put themselves in a difficult financial position with arguably the most fundamental thing in business, cash flow. There wasn't enough money. Uh, the investment landscape had dried up after the financial crash in the same way that the investment landscape's a bit drier now compared to how it was a year ago. You know, prior to 2008, there was it was a huge economic boon. Like everyone was making money hand over fist. Uh, essentially, advertising departments had infinite money to just try stuff. Nobody cared. There, there were big experimental budgets. And we hadn't said it explicitly, but that was essentially what our business was was a bet on was based on because we were trying to create this new experimental ad category. And without those experimental budgets, we had no big customers. We would occasionally get these $20,000 deals in from a big customer, but it would be like a one-time thing. It wasn't recurring revenue. And so we were always having to sell and our sales speed wasn't picking up. Like each of these deals felt like a miracle when we got it. And then we're like 20 grand. Okay. That's like one month's runway. And it, that deal might have taken six months to close. And the reason we were slow is not because we were lazy, but it's because the idea had drifted away from what we were good at. Sadly, during this period, Rob lost his father. That combined with the burnout, combined with the status of the company, like the burnout's a slow, gradual thing. You don't notice it. Like the proverbial like lobster in the thing of water that's heating up. But then when there's like this sudden tragedy, you're like, boom. And it's this like in a flash, you get this perspective and you're like, why are we doing this? Um, and so that's what allowed me to realize that it wasn't the biggest deal in the world to admit that I had failed because there were other things that were more important. And so that's when I set up the calls with the investors and was able to be like, yeah, I'm sorry, I screwed up. Because like suddenly up until then, the business had been like this thing I couldn't imagine living without and I couldn't imagine it failing. And then suddenly I could. And I was like, oh, yeah. It put it in perspective. And, and that was like, I guess, the sharp thing. But we should have noticed the grinding earlier and just <laughs> gracefully shut down. <laughs> it wasn't just the investors who were impacted. Rob had put his own money into the business to help with their cash flow issues. I made a classic new founder error, which was that I was so ashamed to admit that we'd failed. I couldn't even admit it to myself. So I kept thinking that success was one month around the corner. Now, when you're in that mindset, what you do is you try to get yourself another month no matter the cost. And so I started sinking all of my personal savings into covering payroll for one more month, one more month, one more month. So that meant that when we failed, like <laughs> I was also personally broke, which then made it way harder to move on to the next thing, right? Because I'd sold away all my optionality uh, rather than admit that it was over. And when I finally told the investors, they go, uh, I, I expected them to to be mad at me or to, like, I, I don't know, it's money, right? It's like a million dollars and you're like a 24-year-old, 25-year-old and you're like, I've never had a real job. I never like earned real money. And I was like, ah, I just lost a million dollars of someone's money. And I, I like couldn't even wrap my head around it. And so I prepared what I, I called the anti-pitch meeting where we did a three-hour board meeting with the investors. And eventually, after two or three hours, they're like, you know what, you're right. It makes perfect sense. We understand. Um, they asked me to kind of keep up appearances for a couple months in case they could find someone to acquire the assets. And then at the end, they said, honestly, Rob, we're amazed you, you guys went for this long. We thought you were going to shut down ages ago. You know, if you start something new, let us know. 
And I was like, oh, wow, that's what it's like to work with professionals. You know, <laughs> they're not like loan sharks. They're professional investors. They, you know, they're, they're grownups about this. This is their business. And I was like, oh, I wish I'd realized that before I <laughs> made myself broke for no reason. <laughs> the experience of burning out left Rob with a clear idea of the kind of business he wants to build. I used to think that you, you like chose your idea, then you chose your culture and values and lifestyle. And it was almost like two separate decisions. But I've realized now that the idea you choose will determine which set of lifestyle and values choices you're able to make. Like if you choose a winner take all kind of hyper growth business, you cannot do a winner take all business at a relaxed pace. Because if you do, someone else will get better funded. Once you validate it, they'll come in and they'll take everything, right? And you'll end up working for them or, or like uh, shutting down. And if you want to bootstrap slowly, you also don't want winner take all dynamics, right? For that, that, that same reason. Um, and like the idea that I'm working on now that's, that's bootstrap is for the publishing industry on paper, it looks terrible because it took us years to build like infrastructure and plumbing and credibility that before we could even start selling a product. But we see that for what we're trying to do. We want to, like, we're all, the whole team's about to have kids. We're going to have 80% of the team on maternity or paternity leave in like a couple months. We've already got 40% of the team gone. <laughs> and there's only five of us. But so we chose an idea that would look very unattractive on paper, but was a great fit for us because it means that we can step away from it and not worry that it's going to be snapped up by, by, by someone else. Rob has taken a lot of lessons from his failure, but perhaps the most important one is what he learned about investors. He traces the roots of their failure right to the beginning when they got funding from YC. Given how little experience we had with business, I don't think we would have been able to make that decision without this kind of like what we considered the buy-in or the support of an authority figure. So for us, that was like, okay, someone serious takes us seriously. We can do this. Um, but it, it set us on this path where we kind of didn't have our own rudder. We weren't really charting our own course. We were just going from gatekeeper to gatekeeper. And the, the clearest gatekeepers with the most tangible goals are investors. So we're like, okay, we've got the first investors. Let's figure out what the next investors want. And we kept kind of bouncing down that, the road that way instead of being more self-directed. Now I, I'm very allergic to gatekeepers. Like I like to carve my own path. But at the time when we didn't know very much, we love the clarity of a gatekeeper. And just like investors are a very clear target, enterprise sales are also a very clear target. You can set your sights on Sony or MTV or whoever, and you're like, we are gonna close this deal. What needs to happen? And we like that clarity. It gave us this proximate goal. And this is starting to change, but at the time I did not know it was possible to do business without investors. Investors give you a really clear, well-defined path where they're like, hey, this path works. This is what it looks like. We can tell you all the details. We can tell you what you're trying to do. We can tell you the goals, the dangers, et cetera. And you go, oh, that's nice. Like, I don't have to do the work to figure out my own path for myself. Um, but you can. There's so many paths out there. And especially in these rough economic climates, uh, I personally am much less inclined. Like, I'm already like not that excited about investors, even though ours treated us with great respect and dignity. Um, like... <laughs> In a good economic climate, like fine, right? Like it's a founder's market. The founder gets to dictate the terms. Like you're 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 in charge. Um, when when the market's bad, whew, I mean, you underestimate how stressful it is and how much time it takes to talk to investors. And it's a decision you can't undo. Optionality is really valuable. 
like we've been offered um, investment from several different people, a group of super angels, a couple of VCs. Um, my business partner is a bootstrap business. He is a venture capitalist. He works as a VC two days a week. And then three days a week, we goof around and bootstrap together. Uh, and it, like we have access to all the funding in the world. And we, people have come out of nowhere and just been like, can I fund this? Can I fund this? And we go, no, 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 no way. Like, And they're like, you could go faster. You can hire more developers. What are your problems? And it's like, well, the problems is we don't have enough developers. But solving that problem is not worth the extra problems that funding would give us. <laughs> but we're also in an easy situation, right? Like, you know, we've got relatively stable finances. People kind of know us. It's relatively easy to get meetings if we want them. So I'm now working with a lot of advantages that I didn't have when I was starting out. I think it's hard, but don't think that the, the, the well-marked path is the only path. Rob Fitzpatrick. Like he says, everyone has their own path, and the paths of many founders, including mine, includes investors. But it's always important as a founder to remember that you can go your own way. I've been your host, Dan Murray-Serta. We're taking a little break over the Christmas period, but we'll be back with our next series in January. See you then. Here at Mindset Win, we want to give you the tools to become better at what you do. Taking inspiration and wisdom from our guests, we will hear stories, strategies, tips and tricks. Told by leading names in sport and beyond. Who know what it takes to get to the very top. There will be two episodes each week packed with amazing stories and practical takeaways for us all to follow. Search for Mindset Win on YouTube and on your favorite podcast app.